question was whether it was ordered by uh, the prince or not? That's the I only think question. What I, just said, said, I think what didn't. Trump said after the Khashoggi hearing, or the Khashoggi murder was, I think he said there were good people on both sides. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. The whistleblower complaint and the summary of that phone call with Ukraine now leading to an impeachment inquiry and a whole new round of controversy for President Donald Trump. We have reaction from Indiana lawmakers today and we start with Trevor Shirley who has more from our D.C. Bureau. The whistleblower complaint describes concerns that President Trump used the power of his office to pressure the president of Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden. I want to stress that I believe that the whistleblower and the inspector general have acted in good faith. Acting Director of National Intelligence Joseph McGuire came under fire from Democrats like Indiana's Andre Carson, who blasted him for not notifying Congress earlier of the complaint. If the inspector general had not brought this complaint to our attention, uh, you and the Trump administration might have gotten away with this unprecedented action. But McGuire said it was executive privilege, not any political order that caused the delay. The White House did not, did not direct me to withhold the information. I want to make it clear that I have upheld my responsibility to follow the law every step of the way. During the hearing, Republicans repeatedly said the complaint shouldn't be taken seriously because it's based on secondhand information. Republicans have also repeatedly said the entire impeachment inquiry is just another attempt by Democrats to attack the president. Now, starting on Monday, Congress goes into a two-week recess, but it's expected that the Intelligence Committee will continue its work. Reporting in Washington for In Focus, I'm Trevor Shirley. Trevor, thanks. Great to have you there in our D.C. Bureau in the midst of all of this. Meantime, we're hearing from more Indiana lawmakers on both sides of the aisle and talking with some of our analysts and experts to see where we go from here. I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. What will Speaker Pelosi's announcement mean in an already divided Congress? Every American ought to be extremely concerned by circumstances surrounding this urgent complaint. An outrage that this president and members of his administration are hiding it. I think the Democrats are really on slippery ground here. And I think it was very premature what the speaker did yesterday. And I think that they're going to come to regret it. Well, there's no, there's no surprise here. The Democrats have been talking about this from since day one of this Congress way back in January. Some members uh, use, even use expletives to, if you recall, back in January, talking about how we have to impeach the president. So this has been a long time coming. There's also another Indiana connection, former senator and director of national intelligence Dan Coats, who left that post right around the time all this happened. Coates just spoke at an event in Indianapolis, his first public appearance since his departure, telling those gathered, quote, there's much I can't say about the whistleblower complaint, adding we're in the secrets business. This is the only the fourth time that this has happened in American history, so it's quite significant. Adam Wren is a contributing editor at Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Today's movement on this issue is really uh, quite a significant historic development, uh, no matter how it ends. We also spoke with Dr. Laura Wilson from the University of Indianapolis. Impeachment is a very serious offense. And if you look back through history, only Clinton and Johnson have suffered through an impeachment. Of course, most recently in our lifetime, 
Clinton survived it. And our analysts say it's possible President Trump could survive it as well. Time will tell. In the Senate, uh, it, it appears that we would need at least 20 Republican senators uh, to break with their party and convict the president, which at this point today seems unlikely. Now, amidst all these developments, the vice president came to Indianapolis this past week, hoping to shift the focus onto trade, though overshadowed by the impeachment inquiry, which he did briefly reference in his remarks. Our Kayla Sullivan was there. And I came to Indiana to say it's time for Congress to pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement and pass it this year. The passage of USMCA is crucial to the Trump administration. But the future of this trade agreement is unknown as Congress focuses on the possibility of impeachment. You have six different committees working on impeachment inquiry now. They're already investigating the president. Vice President Pence didn't go into detail about the impeachment inquiry, but he did say this. Whatever they want to do in Congress to obstruct our agenda or roll out their latest accusations against the president or divide this country, President Donald Trump and I are never going to stop fighting. The vice president works very closely with the president. He doesn't want to throw him under the bus or insinuate anything that he says isn't there yet. It makes perfect sense that that's how he framed them in terms of allegations versus an impeachment investigation. And part of his role can be to quell the fears, to quell the commotion. Kayla Sullivan reporting. Kayla, thank you. Friday, the vice president also spoke with members of the Indiana National Guard at Camp Atterbury and visited with students at an elementary school, but did not take questions from reporters. This week, I also spoke with longtime Pence reporter Tom Lopianco, who's written a new book about the vice president. This has been a wild week there in Washington. How complicated is all of this for Pence's inner circle? Yeah, boy, he's uh, really in a tough position. It's a, a tough for him in a way that he didn't have any problems with in, Trump, in the Trump-Russia-Mueller probe. Now we know that he had this meeting with uh, Zelensky, and he did not specifically bring up Joe Biden, but he did talk about uh, corruption, anti-corruption efforts. So, and of course, Trump himself has actually gone out there and said that uh, we should get these uh, uh, tapes of uh, uh, you know uh, talks between Pence and uh, Zelensky. So uh, he certainly exposed in a way that he never was during the Trump-Russia investigation. Obviously, all of this could go a number of different directions still. One thing you explore in the book is what a, a Pence presidency might look like, whether that's after 2024 or, or, or sooner. Would it essentially, do you think, be a, a continuation of the Trump administration when it comes to policy? What, what kind of differences might we see in a Pence presidency one day? You know, um, it, it, what it would probably do would be look more like a like a, a third term of George W. Bush, but much more conservative um, uh, on the fiscal policy, on the social policy. Uh, you, you'd probably see a return to neoconservative uh, uh, foreign policy. Um, it's it, you know some things he probably would not revert to. Uh, certainly, uh, free trade, for instance, uh, you'd probably see him aligning more with Trump on that. That's political calculation. Um, that's where the, the, the party bases move. So you, you could expect him to move, move with it. Look, obviously 2020 awaits. And in the midst of this uh, impeachment inquiry and everything that's happening in Washington right now, in your book, you also write about how uh, you feel Jared and Ivanka may be still trying to replace the vice president on the ticket next year. Yeah, so this actually was in a story I wrote um, uh, for Yahoo News. This was uh, after we uh, finished the book. 
And um, I'd heard some chatter about this, and uh, Jared and Ivanka have been talking about possibly replacing uh, Pence on the ticket. Now I should say that uh, they both, their people both say this is completely false, nothing to it. One of the ways that I gauge this, though, is based on Pence's actions and sort of these these loyalty tests that he has to do, that he has to go through. One of his allies uh, referred to them as loyalty tests um, for Trump. Uh, you know, the thinking from the, uh, Jared and Ivanka, according to my sources, is that the, the Trump needs a woman on the ticket, somebody to help him win back the suburbs. Uh, they don't see Pence helping in that area. Uh, they don't seem to think there's a problem with the, the evangelical vote. They think that Trump has a very firm grip on that, so they could, they'd be fine dropping Pence. Will it actually happen? Eh, you know, probably not. I mean, if, it, if we're talking percentages, maybe a 5% chance. But the fact that it's being talked about at all is interesting. The book is Piety and Power, The Taking of the White House. We also spoke with another Pence biographer this week, Leslie Montgomery, who wrote The Faith of Mike Pence. Well, I think it was important, of course, for President Trump to have somebody like Mike Pence on the ticket for him to work towards letting evangelicals know that, there, that they would have a voice in the, in, in the White House. And I, that's what I heard from people that I interviewed was as soon as he was invited onto the ticket, that they knew that evangelicals were going to have somebody in the White House. All right, we have more of those interviews on our website. Up next, the candidates for mayor with some heated words on the recent violence in our city. And the Marion County prosecutor stepping down to focus on his health. So who might replace him for the rest of his term? What well, could get complicated? We'll explain next. All right, let's bring in our panel now. Former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Senate Democrats, Elise Schrock, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel, and former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston. Thank you all for being here today. I want to start by showing you these polling numbers from Morning Consult and Politico. Uh, in just a few days here, uh, an increase in the number of people supporting the start of impeachment proceedings. Now 43-43. That's a swing of six or seven points. A week ago, just 36% said yes and 49% said no. Impeachment ultimately is really a political question. Uh, what do you make of those numbers and everything we've seen this week? Well, I, I think that right now people are riding on emotion, and we really don't know the full story. You know, we hear about these letters. It was not a true transcript. It was kind of a characterization or note-taking, so to speak. It's going to take a long time before we find out what really happened. What scares me is that anybody 50 years old or over, in, their, in our lifetimes, we have seen three of the four impeachments, assuming this goes forward, in American history. People don't try to work things out anymore. People don't try to negotiate anymore. The first thing they do is they go to impeachment. Elise, a number of Indiana Republicans say Democrats are going too far here. What's your response to that? I mean, I think the poll numbers speak for themselves. Public opinion is changing on this. I think in the past with Russian collusion, um, with uh, other instances where there's been a call for impeachment, it was, hard f it was kind of hard to wrap your mind around what was going on. This is a little bit easier because quite frankly, because um, the president has put a lot of it on Twitter and has come out to uh, try and talk about it himself um, to the public. I, I think this one is a little bit easier for the public to wrap their mind around. They're questioning it, and that's why you see those poll numbers tightening up a bit. Tony, are you concerned to see those poll numbers quickly changing? 
not concerned, but there is a, a grander strategy that the Democrats have. They throw everything against the president, see what sticks, hope that in the minds of those independent voters that maybe are too busy, aren't paying as much attention as we do, that in the long run, when it comes election day 2020, they're going to say, oh, well, he, maybe he was going to be impeached here, or, or that word impeachment is all over the place. Maybe we don't vote for him. That's their strategy. They're not going to uh, get rid of him. Uh, the Senate is not either. House might have impeached, but you don't think there's the any Senate way. The Senate won't Senate. either. Right. Uh, Mitch That's McConnell won't, won't have the trial, or they're certainly not going to convict him. And so they're not going to get him out of office, but they keep throwing, just like the Russian <clears throat> scam, this is another fraud on the American people. We know that this whistleblower really isn't even a whistleblower. More will come out. What always happens is a lot of media attention looks bad for the president, then the president and, and his, his folks get the truth out there, and then it falls apart on the Democrats. That's what's going to happen what again. What about this fall break recess now, Robin? Congress on a two-week break in the midst of all of this. Democrats right. saying they want to come back and try and make the case for this in, the, in their districts. Well, a lot of those members that decided to go ahead and move ahead with impeachment are in districts that Donald Trump won. So we don't take this frivolously, just let's go out and just do this for political gain. Some of those people, some seats in Michigan and in Ohio that are royal bellwether seats, they can't afford to do this if they're wrong. This is gonna play out, Tony, and I think to be prejudging and saying there's nothing there, if there's nothing there, then there won't be anything there. But let's at least have a procedure to go through this. The fall break meetings will be very interesting. I think you're going to find more people saying move ahead with this than say stop. We'll see what constituents have to say. Here well, no matter what happens, elsewhere. you're going to have a group of people who are going to believe Donald Trump did nothing wrong no matter what comes out or doesn't come out. And you'll have people on the other side the same way. People will Re see it the wrong way. Reminds me of 1974 when they uh, impeached Nixon, Earl Langreve from Indiana. Well, he resigned. He didn't have to get well, to that point. But I know. He ahead of impeachment, but, obviously. But, but what Earl Glangry was uh, said to the Washington Post interview is, don't confuse me with the facts. I mean, he was going to stick with Nixon no matter what happened. And there will be people who don't want to be confused with the facts, both on the Republican side and, frankly, on the Democratic side as well. Does this pose a risk, though, for Democrats in the, in the 2020 election? Well, right now, I think the biggest risk is the fact that we are not hearing from any of them in any grand scale, right? Uh, they've driven news cycles over the summer. Right now, all the attention is on Donald Trump. So for those who are trying to make up some ground, um, the news cycle has been completely sucked up, and they're going to need to um, come out uh, um, and, and just try and gain some of that traction. It, it poses a bigger risk for Joe Biden. I think this is the beginning of the end of his campaign because that's where the corruption was. It's already coming out. It just hasn't made it into the mainstream. And I think we will see over the next two, three weeks, Robin, that, that the general public is going to see things uh, as they should, that this is a fraud. But Joe Biden, the, the, the corruption for him and his son is going to come out. What's your as response well. to that in terms of Biden and how this might affect him? Well, it's going to affect him a little bit, I mean, because you're putting the spotlight on him. But also, I think it's going to really affect Donald Trump. We've gone through no collusion to Robert Mueller coming forth and saying, I can't give you a conclusive whether or not there was con uh, uh, anything going wrong. I would ask you to keep this in mind as we move forward. We're in the early stages. We just had just one person yesterday. This has all happened very fast. Just but one yeah. person yesterday speak. We still got a lot of people now, and there are a lot more rights that Congress will have if they do an impeachment inquiry. Mike, what about the, the vice president here in Indy Thursday and Friday? Obviously, he's next in line to the presidency, but as we were just saying, it might seem unrealistic to expect the Republican Senate to convict the president, even if the House votes to impeach. But, but are there Republicans out there who feel your party would be 
better off with, with a President Pence? Oh, sure. I, I was at a book uh, signing last night with a lot of evangelicals who would love to see Pence be president instead of Trump. Um, Two but, of those new books out yeah, here. Yeah, but you, you, I, a reporter was asked, uh, asked me yesterday, they said, you know, would, would Pence throw Trump under the bus if things get really serious? And I said, I can't. First of all, I don't know what Pence is thinking. And second of all, I, you can't predict somebody's uh, future behavior. But if past behavior is any indication, when the Access Hollywood scandal happened, Pence refused to throw Trump under the bus, even though he had the, uh, the opportunity with Rance Priebus to try to get uh, Trump off the ticket. He refused to participate. I think that, that Pence is very loyal. He's very selfless, number two. And I think he'd walk through a brick wall for Donald Trump. You mentioned the 2020 candidates a few moments ago. This week we did hear from some of the candidates on the topic of impeachment, including South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And right now we see strong evidence that the American president may have sold out U.S. national security interests to go after a political opponent. That's just the latest in a number of things, any one of which might be impeachable. He continues to obstruct Congress and flout the law. Donald Trump will leave Congress, in my view, no choice but to initiate impeachment. If Congress does not hold this man accountable, then he will break the law again and again and again. It is time for impeachment now. But as you mentioned a minute ago, Elise, this definitely also, for the Democrats running for president, kind of knocks them out of the news cycle a little bit to some yeah, degree. Because we're talking about President Trump. We're not talking about the ideas that we have to move uh, the country forward. So I do think that um, it is going to suck up a little bit of the news cycle. Tony, quickly, your reaction to some of the Democratic candidates there? It's a shame. It's not at all surprising. And the, the, this is all a coordinated effort. And the bad part is it took away from uh, some real success at the U.N., uh, the president announcing a, a trade deal with Japan uh, with Prime Minister Abe. All right, here in Indianapolis, meantime, we're going to change topics here, talk about the mayoral candidates discussing crime this week and getting pretty heated after a violence recently in downtown Indy. We have a mayor who is hiding up in the city county building, a 25th floor of the city county building, ignoring the violence in our city. Tragedies of these nature are not partisan. And they are not political. They are just simply tragedies that, as a community, we need to come together and meaningfully address. The FOP president asking this week on Twitter, where's the outrage? The FOP's membership has uh, endorsed the mayor. Did you get the sense this week at all that their president was in some way walking that back at all? I think they're tired. I think these officers that are out there are tired. They're dealing with so many different issues. This is a systemic issue. And I think we've got to deal with it, Dan, at a bigger than just law enforcement perspective. I mean, you've got 10 Point that does a tremendous job, did a great job in Butler Tarkington. Maybe that needs to be replicated downtown. They're doing it in Gary and other cities in the United States. We may need foundation support to help fund additional people on the street. You know, we have got to get away from just we're going to put a heavy police presence that's going to solve it. Because what I've, I've been a chief of staff in, in city government before. They moved to another part of the community. Then they move there. You have got to get to the systemic issue of this is not right. We can't have this downtown. And it resonates in so many different areas. It affects visitors. It affects businesses. It affects a lot of things. So I would ask that we not simply politicize this, but we have to work together on a community-wide initiative to address it. Obviously, a situation like this in the heart of downtown. You know, the police are overwhelmed. There's no doubt that. No, no doubt about that. 
But the fact is, um, the, the crime is, is uh, particularly concentrated in certain neighborhoods. The police know where those neighborhoods are. And I say the city's not going to wake up until a middle-class family gets shot on the circle or the daughter of some prominent businessman gets robbed on the circle. Now, what I would suggest is that we do follow Evan Bayes' lead, as he did in September 1995, and send, Eric Holcomb should send state troopers into Indianapolis and say, Mayor Hogsett cannot handle the crime here. I'm taking that, over. That would That's what happened by uh, did. Be noteworthy. We're going to have to talk more about it on our podcast. Uh, don't forget, Fox 59 is hosting the next mayoral debate coming up October 28th, starting at 7 p.m. You can submit your own questions for the three candidates at fox59.com slash debate. We'll be right back. This week, a lot of people thinking about Marion County Prosecutor Terry Curry announcing his resignation this week as he continues to fight prostate cancer. But his departure is also creating an interesting scenario in terms of who the Democratic Party will pick to replace him next weekend. Interim Prosecutor Ryan Mears has announced his candidacy for the job, as has the mayor's special counsel, Tim Moriarty. We'll keep you posted. Secretary of State Connie Lawson says her office has been working to increase voter confidence since 2016, including a $10 million upgrade in state funding for election security efforts. Here's what she told us this week. We don't know why um, Illinois, for an example, was hacked or Arizona was hacked. We have heard of nothing bad that's happened to any of those people. But who wants their information out there? We, I mean, nobody does. More of that interview on our website. We're back right after this. Wrapping it up with winners and losers, Robin, who do you got? Jerry Nadler, the head of the House Judiciary Committee that will investigate Donald Trump. Donald Trump's the loser. Plenty of losers in Washington. Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler for trying to pull another scam on the American people. Certainly thinking about my friend, uh, former prosecutor Terry Curry, wishing him well. I do congratulate the new prosecutor, Ryan Mears. He's the right man for the job, a steady hand um, with a firm career in criminal justice. Talk more about that on our podcast. Two winners this week. Uh, we have Tom Lobianco, who wrote a uh, biography, A Piety and Power, about Mike Pence. It's in bookstores this week. And Leslie Montgomery, who wrote more the evangelical angle on Mike Pence's uh, life, which is also out there as well. All right. Thank you all so much for being here. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, let's talk more on our podcast now. Robin Winston, Tony Samuel, Elise Schrock, Mike Murphy. We were talking there about a couple of local issues there at the end. Crime in Indianapolis and the impact on the mayoral race and this race for prosecutor. Uh, first on the mayoral race, Elise, uh, we didn't get to you and Tony there on that subject. How big of a factor will crime continue to be in this, in this campaign for mayor? Right. I, I think it's the issue that everyone is looking at, right? Um, I, I think that uh, for a while, uh, Senator Merritt kept throwing things kind of against the wall to see what would stick. Um, when it comes to crime, I'm not sure he's, he's coming to the table with, with many alternatives. Um, and I think that there are people who are getting frustrated. We heard from the FOP, uh, where's the outrage? Why are we making this political? We're going to all have to come together and figure this out. So it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves between now and November. And when it comes down to it, past November, we've got a lot of work to do, right? Tony? Well, it's political to the extent that we've got an election coming up. And it's the biggest issue going, and both candidates are right to talk about it. Again, I go back to what I've been saying. Mayor Hoxett's been in, in, in that seat for going on four years now. Merritt's uh, the challenger, has plans that I think will be effective, but obviously going to put uh, his primary focus on the issue, 
where it can be argued that Joe Hogsett has not. Uh, we don't want, uh, folks in Indianapolis don't want this to turn into another Chicago. Um, so it's time for the change. I mean, it's, it's kind of cut and dry. You've got a guy that's focusing on, on uh, crime. You've got somebody that you can make the case has not lived up to, to expectations. And you don't want to head in the wrong direction. Make the change now. Also, this dynamic playing out in the prosecutor's race uh, we were talking about earlier with uh, Tim Moriarty, perhaps kind of the hogset choice, maybe, also endorsed by Congressman Carson, Ryan Mears, perhaps the Terry Curry choice, uh, uh, the Elise Schrock choice as well. I know you're <laughs> Sure, and full disclosure, I do sit on his I campaign. I think the Jim Merritt choice, go. too. The Jim Merritt choice, you think, from what you hear? Robin, what do you think about this sort of intra-party divide on... Uh, the prosecutor's office. You know, one of my mentors in this was a guy named Wendell Ford, U.S. Senator from Kentucky. And he, I remember meeting with him in Washington. He said, in these kind of battles, just remember some of your friends are for Mr. Mears and some of your friends are for Mr. Moriarty, and you're with your friends. So that's about where I'm going to end up. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I do think, I do think it's, it's complicated. It's, well, it's no, very that, complicated. It's complicated. And I don't have a vote in it. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, the other campaigns has votes in it, but this is a precinct committee this decision. This is a partisan caucus, yep. and right. it's precinct committee people. Those can be appointed by the county chair. Um, I know that there have been some people removed and put on over the last couple of months, so if you're a PC, you think you're a PC, I encourage you to make sure that you're looking into that. And, of course, that process plays out in the legislature a lot, too. It's important that things. there be yeah. some leadership in this process. Party leadership is important. It used to be important. It should be important. You serve as a county chair. You're a former state chair. I'm a former county chair. And leadership matters. And it's up to the Democratic chairman, chairwoman, of Marion County to weigh in and suggest, even though she's probably relative, she, I don't even know if she gets along with Hoggs or not, but it's important for her as the political uh, machine leader of Marion County to weigh in on who she thinks is best. And if she doesn't, then I think she's not doing her duty. Well, I also think that in this particular role, this has large-reaching implications in the issues we're talking about, which are crime, right? This is uh, the role that determines how people interact with our uh, criminal justice system, who gets second chances, how they're given second chances, how they're rehabilitated, um, and how our most violent offenders are held accountable. Uh, I would argue that this is not the... Um, the role to pay to pick party favors. I think it's the role where you want the best person for the job. And I would also argue that um, if you want to be prosecutor, you should have also have prosecuted a case in your career. But this is the most. It goes well beyond the crime issue we've been talking about here locally. People dying on the streets because of rampant crime. That's important. But from a political standpoint, it's huge because the Marion County prosecutor is the only prosecutor who can prosecute state government all over the state of Indiana. Right. He can prosecute the governor. He can right. prosecute, you know, some highway garage in Fort Wayne if he wants to, right? It's the most important, the most powerful law enforcement position in the state of Indiana, and it does matter who it is. We will see how it all plays out. Uh, we're also obviously <laughs> talking about the big story of the week, the impeachment inquiry. A lot of Indiana lawmakers uh, kind of going to the various camps, uh, various sides, um, Democrats suggesting, yes, it's time. A lot of Indiana Republicans saying Democrats are going too far here. We have not really heard this week from Senator Todd Young. As of Friday, as recorded, hasn't made any comment on the situation. I think Todd Young is one of the wisest uh, 
early, early tenure senators in the United States Senate. He's very measured in what he says. He's not afraid to stand up to the president when he thinks he needs to on certain issues. Um, and yet he's not holding a news conference, you know, every five minutes or trying to get on CNN every day or anything like that. He's just very cautious. He's very wise. And that, that means a, a long, successful tenure usually for the person who does that. What do you make of his silence? Responding with silence. Responding with silence. Look, I think I'm going to come back. I was thinking about this on the way here. I feel like our good friend Mike Murphy has been foreshadowing this for a while. He has been talking about how Donald Trump has had a number of people who are very capable surrounding him, and we've seen a lot of them drop off over the years or over the years, over the last couple months, we're getting to the point where he's running out of White House babysitters. And the more people we see drop out, or drop off, the, the chiefs of staff that he loses, the advisors he loses. The director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates. Sure, you're gonna, you're gonna leave room for more air and more public air. I talked to Dan Coates at the luncheon, the Economic Club, a couple days ago. I just walked up to him, I said, I wanna thank you for your service and your sacrifice through a long career. Your wife, Marsha, and I said, you're one of my four heroes in Washington. He goes, well, who are the others, Mike? And I said, General Kelly, General Mattis, and Don McGahn. And he said, laughed. He said, you know, we're all gone. Hmm. <laughs> would have been, uh, certainly we all would have loved to have gotten a, a camera and a microphone over to Dan Coates yeah. this week. What yeah, a classy that, yeah. guy. I mean, he's, he was, he, a lot he of spoke questions. for an hour and 15 <clears throat> minutes. Not a single note, by the way. And the last person I saw that could do that was Mitch Daniels, frankly. Not a single note. He was self-deprecating his humor. One of the questions was, um, what, what keeps you up at night? He goes, well, at my age, you have to get up and go to the bathroom a lot. But he said, I don't think that's what you're talking about. I mean, he was just funny, but he gave us a great tutorial on how he changed the uh, intelligence gathering uh, infrastructure for the United States. And I think he's a hero myself. So he said at that event, and McGuire said in the hearing this week, that Coates didn't know about the whistleblower complaint because that came August, middle, mid-August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the big question is, did he know about the phone call? Because he did end up submitting his resignation three days after the phone call with Ukraine. That's the big question. It's I don't know if we'll question. ever know the answer and to that. He, may, I mean, he said he's not going to talk about it right. unless he's compelled in some subpoena or something like that, right? He's, right. A, he's a citizen now, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. How, that, how that's retroactive, yeah. so to speak, or whatever. But the, the fact is that his life and his character have demonstrated such a consistency that he certainly would not have been involved in anything nefarious. And whether, whether that phone call influenced his decision that he couldn't stay around or any longer, that'd just be, that'd just be speculation. Yeah we, yeah, we simply don't know at this point. But it's fascinating, all the Indiana people at the center of this, obviously. Somebody like former Senator Coates, we just talking about Senator Todd Young, waiting to see what he's going to say about all of this. And, and, and Coates, you know, you learn about influential Hoosiers all the time. He said that the number two person, the CIA now, is from Markle, Indiana. See, there you That's go. That's why Adam Wren calls it Importantville, right? Importantville, exactly. Though. Sorry, Robin, Tony, why not? Good, you're the... Tony. Oh, I was just, since, you know, we're talking about the phone call, um, what has also come out, but just underreported, unless you're watching Fox National News, is that the uh, corruption investigation that Trump was talking to Zelensky about was going backwards, not forward. So there was no Trump 
trying to get something on Biden to affect the 2020 election. Biden is beating himself out of that election. Trump is talking about the, the uh, corruption that was going on in the Ukraine associated with the Hillary campaign and uh, the National Democrat Party, and that was being looked into by that prosecutor. Also, uh, the, uh, uh, the son, Hunter Biden, uh, that was also being investigated by that prosecutor. And Biden, again, uh, going back to where the real corruption is, uh, was threatening to hold a, withhold a billion dollars from assistance to Ukraine unless that prosecutor was fired. He was fired six hours later. Well, that's look, a lot what of people Trump read into this call what they want to see, right? If they well, see well, a, of course, uh, and that's why it's blown up, and that's why the media is blown up. Robin, we float, we float along through the Nixon. I was a little kid, okay? But I watched this stuff. Seriously, I did watch part of it. I don't know that I watched Alex Butterfield testify that day and resonated, but remember when he said there were taping devices in the White House? That was a guy that was nowhere on the screen of top witnesses. I think this thing is going to move forward, Tony, and somebody's going to come forward. It may be the whistleblower that's going to provide additional information. I don't think the Senate should be, and maybe that's why Young hasn't said anything, prejudge this because they've not received the case where they're supposed to sit as a jury to look at this. That's probably so, right. That's so so I, if I were an attorney, I would argue, if I was an attorney defending the president, I would argue that, you know, let's put everything on the table. You said, you know, there was disagreement whether or not you want to release the transcript. And then they released a transcript that really wasn't a transcript. So, you know, come on, let's just put everything on the table and see what happens. What's wrong with that? I don't understand what's fundamentally wrong with that. Well, nothing you know, that they have. I mean... It was the transcript, according to everyone that I've seen talk about it. It says that at the bottom. In there. I mean, that's what we. It's you, the way the transcripts are done. Conversation. It's the way the transcripts are done. The phone not call was not recorded. Number one, so it cannot be a transcript. It was a note taker. Yeah, it was a yeah, note taker. Doing, doing, doing their do best things. job of taking but notes. Listen, they, it's the way they do things now. They don't record the phone calls. They have note takers. The note takers work together to make sure they captured it, and then it's 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 done and completed. There is complete transparency. I mean, you can say they discussed it for a little bit. Of course, they're going to discuss it for a little bit. But but Trump put this out there really quickly. But we don't. But there, let me go back to history again. In 1973, when Nixon released a transcript, it was supposed to be a true transcript of those tapes. When the Congress actually got a hold of the tapes, the transcripts were nowhere <laughs> near what was said on the tapes. It was complete right, false. But I'm not I, saying Trump has done that, no. but I'm saying that when you when you say you're releasing something that's in the in the spirit of transparency, there's still there's plenty of room for cynicism. No, because no, no, of, no, of but there's really not because, as I understand it, a lot of questions. they don't they don't release they don't tape conversations anymore because of what happened for some reason with Nixon. This is the only way they go about it, and that this is what was released. Reporter gets killed, right, by the Saudi regime. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say a word. I don't think there's a tape that he's going to produce giving the Saudis grief about what happened to the reporter. This was a hit job on Joe Biden because nothing said to the Saudi regime. In fact, we then congratulate him. We bring him to the White House. We totally get in sync with them. We're now sending troops over to defend them and defend their ability to produce oil. But, but we killed a reporter. They admitted it. I mean, their whole hierarchy is involved in that, and not one right. word said. So where is the, the push to follow that corruption? That's what I don't understand. There was nothing said, no big... Sure there was. What did there he do? Was. Tell me what he well, fundamentally yeah, did. He, did. He, he condemned the violence. He was, uh, you know, uh, he 
believed what his intelligence told him, that, that it was the Saudi regime. The question was whether it was ordered by uh, the prince or not. That's the I only think question. What I just said, said, I think what Trump said after the Khashoggi hearing, or the Khashoggi murder was, I think he said there were good people on both sides. <laughs> oh, no, that's a whole other matter. <laughs> they, they, but he didn't cut off any aid to them. There was no call saying, I'm going to have to restrict. In fact, we've sent aid to them. That's a whole different issue many, with Iran involved and in what's going on with Iran. Okay. Where does it all, where do you think this all ends up? No way to know, but where, where at this point do you think this thing ends up, uh, perhaps by the end of this year? I don't know. I would just say be careful what you wish for with the pre uh, Pence presidency. Hmm. I, My, what do you I'd think? I think it ends up at the Supreme Court because he won't surrender documents just like they did with Nixon. I think court battle before we even get to. Yes, I think he's not going to surrender all the documents that they request. I think it's the biggest political risk of Pelosi's career, and she's been around for a long time. Either, either he is impeached, and he, whether it goes to trial in the Senate or not, I think they have to put him on trial. But I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I won't, I won't claim that. But, but either he is impeached, and she looks like you know the Wizard of Westward, so to speak, or her case falls apart. She looks like a fool and Trump is elected by larger numbers than he was last time. I guess that, you know, a lot of people, the conventional wisdom, and what is conventional wisdom anymore? Uh, many people think, yeah, maybe he gets impeached in the House, the Senate clears him. What do you think happens to uh, I think this falls apart, but I, I still think, I mean, they're down this path of impeachment. They're going to keep moving to, towards it. If they get the numbers, if they get the, the, the majority of their caucus, they'll vote to impeach so they can get that headline that he was impeached, like I was saying on, on the TV part. They just want to put in the fo in the minds of the folks that are going to be undecided. You know, that slim uh, number of voters, three to five million, I'm not sure what the number would be, that, hey, you can't vote for this president because of all these bad headlines. That's what they're, they're trying to do. Um, but he's not, he's not going to get removed from office. Newt Gingrich said yesterday that impeaching Clinton was the biggest mistake he ever made in his political career. Because of the backlash. Uh, well, the, the, the backlash that it actually, in some people's minds, in a perverted kind of way, made Clinton a hero, right? And a sympathetic figure. I don't know how he did that, but he did it. Um, and, and it destroyed... Well, of course, he was in his second term. He's in his second he didn't term. have to that's face it. They're using and it, destroyed, it destroyed Clinton, but it also destroyed, you know, Newt Gingrich's personal career, his political career. And he said it was just, they never should have done it, he said. I think Robin's right. I think this is just the beginning, and I think we're going to have quite a few weeks uh, ahead of us uh, as a panel to speculate on yeah. this. Nixon was in his second term, too. I had to go yeah. back and look at the history, which I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you might already know. Yeah. Andrew Johnson was in his first term, yeah, first true. and only term. That's right. Impeachment, uh, rarely, I mean. Well, that's because he moved Stanton. There you he go. removed Stanton yeah, as Secretary and, and of War, and they went crazy. Right? Were there really any, in the last, all these... All these um, these impeachments or quasi almost impeachments, were there really any high crimes and misdemeanors committed? I would say in only one case, and that was Nixon. And he, and he got out. And he the, got out before right. he was impeached. Because we'll he would happens. have been impeached. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild, wild week uh, in the nation's capital. Thank you all for being yep. here to talk Thank about you. it. We appreciate it as always. We'll see you again next week right here on In Focus.